starting in verse 22. Then Moses made Israel sit out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log. And he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statue and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs of water, and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. Chapter 16. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, where we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the w this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumbled against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Chapter 17, verse 1. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirst there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are, al they are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock of Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, 
and the water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of that place Massa and Mirabah, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? This is the word of the Lord. If someone were to record a week of your life, would grumbling and complaining be a prominent theme? I wonder if, like Israel, we would say, hmm, they do that a lot, or I do that a lot in our own case. If we're honest, probably too many of us have become far too comfortable grumbling and complaining. We grumble about all the work we have to do, complain about our health and the things we can't do. We grumble about finances and the things we can't afford. We complain about having to make meals and keep the house clean. We grumble if our kids make us lose sleep and even lose our sanity. Grumbling. Which of us in this last week would not be guilty of grumbling? My hand's not going up. It's interesting here, you know, in, in the book of Exodus, it's quite clear what the theme is between the end of chapters 15 and the beginning of chapter 17. It is the grumbling of the people of Israel. Three times they grumble against God. The waters are bitter. We don't have meat and bread. And then again, we don't have water and they, they grumble. This is not a mere like, Hey, we have a problem, an issue. This is an adversarial complaint. This is a, a, a heart of, of uh, attacking and saying, this is not right. Anger. They grumble. But three times, to all three times of their grumbling, God responds with grace. I hope you noticed that. I mean, we should be impressed by the mercy and patience of God. By the way, if you, you skip ahead in the Bible, you'll notice that that patience is not always there. Anyways, uh, he's always patient, but there, there is a, a limit <laughs> to what he will allow. But three times Israel grumbles and God responds with grace. But it's not only the type of grace you're thinking about, okay? Yes, God does graciously provide what they need in response to their grumbling, but God does more. God also graciously teaches them about grumbling. That's what we also see in this text is God gives them physical food, but then he also gives them spiritual food. He speaks to them. He teaches them through the situation, through the words of Moses. And so this is what we want to learn today. From, from Israel, as we learn to walk with God in the wilderness of this life, we see their grumbling, and, and we didn't like it. We say, okay, how, how, how can that be different in my life? How can I walk faithfully with God in the wilderness of this life? And so what we're going to see today from the book of Exodus is God is going to graciously teach us the nature of grumbling. He's going to teach us what he thinks about our grumbling and he's going to teach us how to stop grumbling. 
And so I think this is, this is something for all of us today because to be quite honest, to, to, to grumble is to be human this side of heaven. This is something that I think we all struggle with. And so we need to know the truth about grumbling. Actually, let me say this. I, I said this is something that we all struggle with, but some of us don't struggle with it enough. We don't wrestle against it enough. And so that's what we're going to see today is that grumbling is not something we should make peace with. So from this text, let's learn the first truth about grumbling, the nature of grumbling. This is number one if you're following along in the bulletin or in in, uh, some notes. Number one, grumbling is always against God. Grumbling is always against God. And the the text is going to make this very plain. Now, now like us, Israel most likely thought that their grumbling was only against their circumstances and only against their human leaders, Moses and Aaron. I mean, we see that um, in in all three chapters, chapter 15, verse 24, and the people grumbled against Moses. Uh, 16, verse 2, the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. 17.3, the people thirsted for water and the people grumbled against Moses. And that's likely how we feel about our grumbling. Oh, I'm just grumbling about my circumstances. This, this difficulty is coming to my life and I'm just, I'm just complaining about that. Or, or there's this difficult person in my life. They're making my life hard. They're making my life uncomfortable. And so I'm just grumbling about them. I'm grumbling against them. Well, as it turns out, God's word says we are not only grumbling about them. We are, in fact, grumbling against God. Let's talk about this with Israel for a moment before we see it explicitly from the text. Who was it that, that really brought Israel out of Egypt and into the wilderness? They're pointing their finger at Moses saying, why did you bring us out here? But who was it that really brought them out there? God. Yeah, it's 16.6. It says, at evening you shall know that it is the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. It is God who has them out in the wilderness. Now, what, what about this? Who is it that is in control of the waters at Marah being bitter? Who, who created the waters? God created the waters and God made them bitter. In fact, it says in... Um, 1525, there he tested them. So the idea was God brought them to bitter waters, waters that he had made bitter in order to test them. And then who was it that led them to places with no food and water? Again, explicitly, chapter 17, verse 1, it says, uh, All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord. And encamped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Those two things are in the same verse. God led them there. God commanded exactly where they should go, and yet there they found no water. And while this is explicit, we need to understand that, that all circumstances, all situations are this way. God is ultimately the one in control. And, and I want you to see how, how Moses clarifies this for Israel. He's not going to play games with this. I, I love it. Uh, Exodus 16, verses 7 and 8, he says, In the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, 
because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. Notice he doesn't say he's heard your grumbling against me. He says, the Lord has heard your grumbling against the Lord. Then he goes on to say, for what are we that you grumble against us? He said, we're we're mere servants in God's hands. What are you grumbling against us for? Then he repeats that, but a little further in in verse um, 8, the very next verse, it says, The Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him. What are we? Again, he's making those same points again. But then in case any of them missed it, he says this at the end of verse 8, Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Boom, just, he just clears away all the clutter. You guys think you're just complaining about your circumstances. You think you're just grumbling against us. But who are we that you're grumbling against us? What are your circumstances but, but things that are in the hands of God? You're not grumbling against us. You're grumbling against the Lord. Now, I, I, I kind of sat there at my desk this, this week and thought, okay, is there any possible reason we could grumble that our grumbling would not be against God. And I was kind of running scenarios in my mind. Okay, hard circumstances. Well, I think, okay, health. Who's in control of our health? God. Wealth. Our, our finances. Who's in control of that? God. You know, just any circumstance you can think of there, God is in control of that. Even calamity, the Bible says, is in the hands of God. But, but what about other people? When other people make foolish decisions or sinful decisions, and that affects me in an adverse way, surely we can't say God's in control of that. What you intended for harm, God intended for good, uh, Joseph said to his brothers. You remember that? Exodus, uh, or Gen- Genesis, rather. He says, you intended this, this sin against me, selling me into slavery. You intended harm, but God in your sin, through your sin, intended good. God was in control of sin. God is in control even of the foolish decisions of others. At the very least, God could stop them. And he does in the Bible. There are times God appears to someone, stops them, sometimes puts them to death if he needs to in order to stop them. God can stop the foolish, sin, uh, foolish decisions and sins of others. But even spiritual warfare satan and his demons we see do not fall outside the purview of god's authority the book of job is just such a great example he has uh, satan has to come to god and ask for permission to afflict job and make his circumstances quite miserable but god allowed it god was in control of the situation and so it is in our lives There is no circumstance, there is no situation, there is no person, people, organization, government that is not within the control of our sovereign God. Therefore, anytime we grumble, it is actually grumbling against God. We could actually turn to God and say, you are doing a bad job of running the universe. That's what I think. We might as well do that because our grumbling, Moses says that your grumbling is not against us. It is against the Lord. We need to understand this. Israel needed to understand this. It was not circumstances, not people they're grumbling against, but God. Now, some of us might try to make excuses at this point. We might say, well, 
I was just frustrated and speaking out of my frustration. I, I'm just venting when I say these things. And, you know, it's not good to carry that stuff around and bottle it up. You know, I was just getting it off my chest. These are all things that we say. Or maybe we're, we, we say, I, I'm just being honest. I'm just being honest about how I feel about the situation. But we're going to learn, what we're going to learn next is what God thinks about our grumbling. He, he doesn't say that we're just venting or just being honest. What he says is we are just being sinful. We're going to see that. This is number two, by the way. Grumbling is natural and sinful. Natural and sinful. I get it. <laughs> I'm living in this world too. I too have circumstances that don't perfectly fit my desires. And sometimes I have very difficult circumstances, you know, and, and it is very natural, very easy for me to grumble and complain. It, it is very easy for me to com complain and grumble when, when a person is causing me trouble. But here's the thing. Just, become, just because grumbling comes naturally doesn't mean that it's okay. It doesn't mean that it's not sinful. We, we, I mean, we all know this, right? With other areas, we know that our flesh desires to be greedy, to be selfish. We know that our flesh desires pleasure from lust and vengeance through murder. But none of us would say any of these things are okay or unsinful just because they come naturally. We'd say, no, we need to fight against those things because they are sinful tendencies of our flesh. And so we see the case is with grumbling. This is the way the Bible talks about grumbling. Uh, just for instance, a, a good example of this is in Jude uh, chapter 16, in verse 15, just the verse before, he's, he's talking about people he calls ungodly sinners. He says this, these are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. And so that's how Jude and that's how much of the, the Bible talks about grumbling is, yes, it is a natural, sinful tendency of humanity that we grumble, we complain we groan when we don't like our circumstances. Now, this passage in Exodus that we're studying today does not explicitly call their grumbling sin. There, there's no Moses saying your grumbling is sinful or God saying your grumbling is sinful. But we actually have something better. Instead of it just saying what they did was sinful, what, what Moses and what God is going to do for us is he's going to show us the sinful heart behind grumbling so that we understand why it is that we grumble and what is sinful about it. And so I want to show you three things uh, that are the sinful heart behind grumbling that we see in this text. The first one is this, the forgetful heart of grumbling. Do you guys remember what the sermon was last week? It, it was the song at the sea. Israel worshiping God. They, I mean, it's heartfelt praise to God. You alone are majestic. You are glorious, God, for you have freed us. You have crushed our enemies. This is three days later. 
God has just done what is quite literally the most miraculous, most incredible, most uh, wondrous, redemptive event in history up to this point. God did it three days before they are now complaining because the waters were bitter. But it doesn't stop there, does it? Because we read more than just that instance in chapter 15. So God takes the bitter water, miraculously makes it sweet. And then what do they do? Chapter 16, they start grumbling about not having meat and and, and bread to the full like we had back in Egypt. But God's just turned the the bitter water sweet for you. And then God, of course, sends quail uh, for meat. We didn't read that part, but he does. He sends quail that they're just laying around uh, the the, the camp there. And then God, God gives them manna, bread from heaven. But then what do they do? In chapter 17, they grumble once again. Have you brought us out into the wilderness to die? Do you notice what's going on with Israel? They are incredibly quick to forget the past blessings of God. They are incredibly quick for their gratitude, their deep heartfelt worship of God to turn to grumbling and disdain. This is what they do. This is just the context. They have a forgetful heart of what God has done for them, and so they grumble. But how often do we do the very same thing? In fact, I would say if you are a Christian today, you have a past event that should make you never grumble again. God, uh, the God of the universe, your judge, has sent a Savior in Jesus He bore your sin on the cross. He was buried in the grave and he rose from the dead, defeating Satan's sin and death. And by faith in him, this gift of grace from God, you have been redeemed. Your sins have been forgiven. You've been given new life, a new heart, and an eternity with God. Unshakable realities. And then we turn to grumbling when we don't like the way things are going. And and I could mention, by the way, that we have a million other blessings every day, every week that we so quickly forget about. I mean, I I, I know, again, I'm I'm preaching to myself here. Let the echo work in this room because I need to hear it. Because I can have a great day, great success, God-given success, and I can be praising God when I go to sleep. Then I can have a difficult night and be grumbling by morning time. We so quickly forget the grace and goodness and blessings of God. And that is the forgetful heart of grumbling. It forgets what God has done for us. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. If gratitude is the will of God, then grumbling is sin. Right? It comes from a heart that forgets God's past blessings. But next we, we see even more here. This is uh, the, the second uh, part, the faithless heart of grumbling. So we had the forgetful heart that, that forgets what God has done in the past, the ways he has given us great blessings and grace. But now we have the faithless heart of grumbling. This is more geared toward the future. This is calling into question who God is and how God will treat us. See, God had made Israel promises. This was nothing new. Abraham, 
I will make of you a great nation. Abraham, the land you are standing on, the land of Canaan, I will give to you and to your people, your nation forever. And then this promise is repeated over and over and over again. We've seen it probably 10 times in Exodus up to this point that I'm going to bring you to the land of Canaan. I'm going to give it to you, a land flowing with milk and honey. God has made rock solid promises to them that they will be a nation, that they will possess the land of Canaan. But look at what they complain about. Uh, Chapter 15, the people grumbled against Moses saying, what shall we drink? The, the implication there is there's nothing for us to drink and there never will be. There's a problem and there is no possible solution. It, this, this point is made more clear uh, in chapter 16, chapter 16, uh, verse 3. You have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Really? Is that what they believe God has done? So God heard their cries of, uh, under their burden of slavery in Egypt. God comes down, God sends Moses, God redeems them, God, God has them pass through the Red Sea, God crushes their enemies behind them, and now God has just brought them out into the wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. God has promised them the land of Canaan. God has promised they will be this, this great nation and yet they're going to die. And that, that, by the way, is important, the whole assembly. They're not just saying some of us might pass away. They're saying Israel will be no more. This is the heart of grumbling. Oh, by the way, it just gets worse. Uh, chapter 17, verse 7, they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? I mean, they, they truly believe that this is the end for them, and they don't even know if the Lord is with them. Think about this. This is a lack of faith in the promises of God. He, he's not really going to do what he said he's going to do. This is a lack of faith in the power of God. Maybe God can't do what he said he would do. Maybe God can't protect us, can't provide for us, can't give us what we need, and This is a lack of faith in the goodness of God. He doesn't really care what happens to Israel. The people he has just redeemed and restored or rescued, rather. He probably has left us to die. That's what, you know, that verse 17. Is the Lord with us or not? Has God just deserted us? This is the heart of grumbling. It is faithless. In the person, the promises, the power, the goodness of God. It says he's not strong enough, he's not good enough. But this, again, is, is what we are doing when we grumble. When we come to a situation that we don't see the way out and we grumble and complain about it, we, what we're saying in that moment is God doesn't have the power or maybe the goodness to give me what I need ultimately to bring this about for my ultimate good. And that, my friends, to question the goodness and the the power of God is a sin. Hebrews 11, 6, without faith it is impossible to please him. Romans 14, 23, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. It is sin to grumble from a heart that doesn't trust in God and what he will do in the future.
That's what Israel did. That's what we do. But there is one last sinful heart condition that our grumbling reveals. This is the dissatisfied heart of grumbling. The dissatisfied heart of grumbling. See, to grumble reveals that we are dissatisfied. And to be dissatisfied shows that you are not finding your satisfaction in God. Something else has our hearts when we grumble, when we complain. I need this thing in addition to God for my life to be okay. Let's look at this uh, from, from the people of, of Egypt, or uh, Israel rather. <laughs> Chapter 16, the, the, the shocking words from the mouths of Israel. Chapter 16, verse 3, And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. Now, those last words, to the full, uh, could literally be translated to the satisfaction, to satisfaction. We had meat and we had bread to satisfaction. And so what are they saying? What, what, What are they saying by this? They're saying, we would rather have full bellies than the God who can satisfy our hearts to the full. They're saying, we would rather be back in the pagan land of Egypt than out here in the wilderness with the glorious God of the universe. That's what they're saying. In fact, we wish we'd have just died instead of coming out of Egypt and out here with God in the wilderness. They would rather be slaves under the master Pharaoh than, than, than servants of God. This, this is what they're saying. We, we, we wish we were back in Egypt, pagan, enslaved. They were far too easily satisfied. Look, look at what C.S. Lewis said. I, I love how he put this. It's a well-known statement by, by C.S. Lewis. He said, it would seem that our Lord finds our, de- finds our desires are not too strong, but too weak. We are far too easily pleased. Again, they are complaining about the bitter water. They, we once had water, all the water we needed, and we were pleased with that. They come to bitter water and they show they don't care about the God who parted the waters of the Red Sea, who's now with them. This is what they're doing. And I wonder again how often we do exactly the same thing. I mean, you think about it. When when our our health uh, is is giving us trouble and we grumble about it, we're showing I actually find my satisfaction in my health, not in God. When we grumble about our finances, we're saying, you know what? I actually find my satisfaction in in my financial wealth and the possessions it can buy me and the security it can buy me, not in God. Even this, when we have a difficult day, a difficult week, a difficult month, and we grumble about it, we're saying, I I actually find my satisfaction in comfort and ease more than the God of all comfort. Again, we only grumble when we are not satisfied. 
And yet God says he can satisfy us. And so if we're grumbling, it shows we're not finding our satisfaction in God. Again, Psalm uh, 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you to that the desires of your heart. If you are looking to God for satisfaction, he will give you the desires of your heart. He will bring that satisfaction into your heart. It doesn't mean your situation will be easy. It means you will have a satisfying God who is greater than your situation, greater than your circumstances. Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. You know, it's interesting when I think about different seasons in my life, uh, things that I was excited about. And we're just talking about earthly things. When something very good would happen to me, nothing could faze me in those times. You know, there'd be a little bump. I would say, okay, I don't care about that. That's okay because this thing is good. This thing is making me happy. That's the way it should be with us and God. Bumps should come in the road. Circumstances can be frustrating. People can be angering, annoying, whatever. But we say, but it's okay because I've got God. And he is the satisfaction that I'm looking for. And by the way, again, you think about this. To, to, to grumble is saying, God, you're, you're just not satisfying enough. Israel said it. Would that we had died in Egypt back when we had bread and meat to the full, back when we were satisfied. This type of grumbling is sin. This, this is what we're doing when we're sinning. We're showing we're not satisfied. We're showing that we're faithless. We're showing that we're forgetful of all that God has done for us. I, I hope at this point that you're like me. I hope at this point that you're saying, I want that. I want to stop grumbling for the glory of God. I, I want to stop being forgetful and ungrateful. I want to stop being faithless in God's promises and his power and his goodness. And I want to find my satisfaction in him so that I'm not so easily tempted to grumble. But how do we stop grumbling? How do, how do we stop something that is a natural tendency in our lives? Well, it makes sense that if you have a natural tendency that you need to break, you need a supernatural power to break it. And that's exactly what we see in God's word that he provides. And by the way, just in our own lives, this begins at the new birth, what we call becoming born again for a Christian today. This begins at trusting in Christ Jesus, receiving a new heart and a new mind. This is when we can actually have gratitude for the past things God has done for us because we will actually have salvation. This is when we can trust in the promises of God because we're actually one of his children. And this is when we can start finding our delight in God is when we have trusted in Christ Jesus as our Lord and Savior. That's where it begins. It cannot begin before that. This to, to truly stop grumbling from the heart cannot begin before that. But then for the Christian, this process continues through God's word. I want to show you this. Number, number three, the antidote to grumbling is God's word. The antidote to grumbling is God's word. This answer was right there at the beginning of our reading today in chapter 15. It would have been easy to miss, but it is all important. Chapter 15, uh, beginning in the second half of verse 25 it says, there the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, 
if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. In other words, if you want to be healed of this sin sickness, if you want a fate better than the Egyptians, then you must listen to the voice of the Lord your God. You need a healing and a transformation that can only come from God revealing himself, from God speaking to you. You need to listen. Now, obviously, for Israel, God was audibly speaking. Usually, God spoke to Moses and then through Moses to the congregation of Israel. They, they literally had God speaking to them. But we, too, literally have God speaking to us through what we now call his word, the Bible. This is God-breathed. This is spirit-inspired. Every page, every paragraph, every word is God speaking to us. It is the voice of God. And so we see again, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, I am the Lord your healer. It is for us imperative that we hear from God to overcome our grumbling. Because all those heart tendencies, those sinful heart tendencies to grumble are cured by the word of God. As he reveals himself to us, as he reveals what he's done, as he reveals what he's going to do, and as he reveals his glory. If, if you like to think categorically, here's how I put it. We have a forgetful heart of grumbling, but God's word keeps us from forgetting what he's done. You can't look to the Bible without seeing your sin, your unworthiness, and God's saving grace. You can't do it. You can't look to God's word and, and miss the fact that, that any possession, any good, any pleasure you experience is a gift from God. And so any good you've experienced in the past, that is a good gift from God. Obviously, salvation is the greatest of them, but I don't want us to forget even the, quote, little things God does in our lives. And that's what God's word does. It keeps us from forgetting. Next, we have a faithless heart of grumbling this faithless heart, but God's word grows our faith. God's word grows our faith that he is in control, that he is good, and that he has good plans for you. No matter what your present circumstances are, God is working it together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. This is good news, and this is what the Bible does. We read it. We read about things like the people of Israel, helpless, hopeless in front of the Red Sea and the Egyptians behind them. But then God makes a way where there was no way. Then God crushes their enemies behind them. And we say, wow, I can trust in that God. <laughs> I, I can believe that, that he will do for me what he did for them. Now, I don't want to give you uh, the wrong idea here. I'm not telling you that every little circumstance and every little discomfort God is going to cure in this life. But what I can tell you is that God has promised you an eternal life of eternal pleasure in his presence. And that is good news. Healed bodies, our work will be nothing but pleasure. Our relationships will be upbuilding, uplifting to the glory of God. It will be good. 
We can have our faith grown by God. He's in control. I can believe it. He is good. I can believe it. He has a good plan for me. I can believe it through studying God's word. This is the power of God working through his word. Finally, we have the dissatisfied heart of grumbling. The dissatisfied heart of grumbling, but God's word leads us to find satisfaction in him. Again, the Bible so often reminds us of the fleeting nature of this life, of how petty little possessions are that we fret about. And it shows us the eternal glory of God. The Bible shows us that God is majestic in his beauty, that God is everything good, everything glorious, all wrapped in one being. That's who he is. And then it bids us to come and drink from the well that will not run dry and the fountain that will always satisfy our longing hearts. That's what the Bible does. It says, come, find your satisfaction in me. Take your eyes off the things of this world. Take, the eye, take your eyes off your circumstances. Yes, those things are real. Yes, they still matter to God, by the way. But they are not ultimate. They are fleeting. They are passing. But the things of God are eternal and they are glorious and they are good. And we can find our satisfaction even here and now in him. I should mention, by the way, that, that there is nothing wrong with coming to God and saying, God, my circumstances stink. I, I'm struggling right now. You will, if you open the Psalms, you'll see that I think it's one third of the Psalms are laments. God, we're hurting. God, we're struggling. But what we better never do is come with, with our finger in God's face. Why have you messed up my world? That's forgetful. That's faithless. That's dissatisfied in God, his glory, his goodness. I do want to mention one final thing. I, I just, I want us to go out of this place, not, not only learning information for ourselves, but to see how God wants to use it for his glory, for our joy, and for the good of others. In my study, I, I stumbled across this passage from Paul, and, and you'll just see how he pulls all of this together that we've been talking about today. Philippians 2, 14 to 16, he says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. So what does Paul tell us to do? Do do all things without grumbling, he says. Why does he tell us to do that? That you may be blameless in a twisted and crooked generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Think about it. If grumbling is such a natural tendency, if grumbling is just simply the, the outflow of a dissatisfied heart of which all the world is, by the way, doesn't it look different when a Christian is grateful for all that God has done in the past, trusts him for what he's going to do in the future, and they're finding their satisfaction in him right here, right now? They look different. And grumbling certainly isn't a part of that clothing. When we are people of gratitude, of faith, and of satisfaction in God, 
we show the world that we have something greater, something greater than what they're chasing, something that can truly satisfy, something they can trust in. We shine as lights in darkness. And how does Paul say we do this? Holding fast to the word of life. Most specifically in Paul's terminology, this would be Christ, holding fast to Christ, but also all that is contained in Christ. He is God's word. He is what we need, and we have the truth of Christ contained in God's word. Friends, I just want to beg you to put your faces in God's word. It doesn't have to be all day, all morning. I mean, you don't have to become a monk or a nun to do this. Put your face in God's word. Why? So that you'll stop grumbling. I promise you, your life will be better if you stop grumbling and you'll glorify God in it. Let's pray. Father God, oh, we just want to give you thanks. We want to give you thanks that you are patient when we are grumblers. Lord, we are thankful that because of Christ, you can forget our forgetful grumbling. God, we thank you that even when we are faithless, you remain faithful to us and you draw us back to remember who you are and what you've promised to do for us. And God, we thank you that you allow us to drink from the fountain that satisfies, namely yourself. And Lord, please help us not to neglect such a great gift. Please help us not to turn to dry wells and broken cisterns, Lord. We want to find our deep satisfaction in you. We want to keep from grumbling because we are so satisfied in you. And we want to shine as lights of your glory and your grace in this dark world. God, I pray that you would transform us, transform me, transform this congregation into people who go out and do not grumble. And they shine the light of your glory and your gospel, Lord. Use us to change the hearts of many, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.